Good morning. About four years ago, I got an email from a friend. And she wrote about a testimony that was so awesome to me. I, about a, a, an apostle from Alaska, a Native American. I said, do you have this man's number? I want to call him. And our friend is a Native American. She said, yes, I do. And so she got permission from him for me to call. And I called him. So I got this directly from the individual. And here's the story. His wife had been battling cancer for a number of years and tried everything medically possible that it didn't work. So they decided they're going to drive from Alaska to Mexico and take chelation therapy, you know, alternative type thing. And so they went on this road trip of, of I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 miles, spent time together, did the protocol, and on their way back, they stopped in Las Vegas to visit one of their daughters. Now, this man's been in ministry for years. The daughter, although had fallen away, she didn't really quite believe that God was real or any of this stuff was real. So they're at the hotel, and the, the mother says, well, why don't you and our daughter walk down the street to the Walmart and, and uh, buy some snacks and some water? So it was a nice day. They decided to take this walk, and they're talking and fellowshipping, and they walked into the entryway to the Walmart. Now, you know those are pretty big. And here was a young lady sitting there in raggedy clothes, stringy hair. He said she looked like she was about 25 years old. And she was just kind of sitting there begging. And he, was, he looked at her and he was moved with compassion. And in the meantime, people are walking in and out. And he walks up to her and he says, Young lady, you know you don't have to live like this. Jesus loves you. And he reached in his pocket and he took out some money. He said it was about $600. See, this man lives what he teaches. And he handed it to her and said, Here, here's some money. You can go in and buy some new clothes. There's a motel next door. You can... Get a room, get a meal, get cleaned up, and there's enough money to get you a bus ticket wherever you need to go. People had stopped to look at this. And when he was done, he turned to walk in, and there was a lady standing in front of him, and all of a sudden her eyes got this big, and she screamed. And he said to her, what happened? I said, wait, 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 back up. She's looking out that way, screaming, and you didn't turn around? And he laughed. He said, no, I didn't need to. I just knew. See, the Lord had told him he was going to start seeing angels unaware. This lady, when he said, what happened? She said, she vanished. All these, about 10 people saw this. And they were terrified. They didn't know what they were seeing and witnessing. So he began to share the gospel with them right there in the entryway of Walmart in Las Vegas, Nevada. And 10 people got saved. And they began to rejoice. And I mean, they were just... And there was one individual, he looked like an African-American, and he was dancing, and yeah. And he said, I'm a taxi driver, my cab's outside. When you're done shopping, I'll take you wherever you want to go. And his daughter, of course, was weeping. She had witnessed this miracle. And so they went in, and they did their shopping and came out. And this, this taxi driver, he ran up, and he said, here, let me help you. And he took their bags and put it in the car. Well, they only walked two or three blocks. But they said, okay. And they got in the taxi, and he, he drove them to the hotel. And as they were getting out, the daughter, he's still, you know, tearing a little bit, said, Dad, don't forget to pay the taxi driver. He turned around to pay him, and the car and the taxi vanished. Oh my and she came apart again. 
The next morning, and they had a great time. Their daughter got saved. The next morning, after they said their goodbyes, the husband and wife got in their car. They pulled out of the driveway of the hotel onto the road to go home. And when they turned onto the road, they turned into their driveway in Alaska. I said, does that happen often? He says, well, more times now than not. Well, brother, I, I don't know if God does that. Be it done unto you according to your faith. See, we're living in a time that's unprecedented. Scripture talks about the powers of the age to come. And, and, and Pastor Sherman let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I told, him, I told him before we came, I said, don't you steal my stuff and teach it. He said, well, you share it, it's mine now. But no, he's got some tremendous insights too because God's been showing him this stuff for many years. But I'm telling you, we've entered into a season that's unprecedented. We've seen nothing yet. And you want to, how many of you want to see the greatest miracles ever? You pursue a person, his name's Jesus. Don't pursue a miracle. You'll, you know, the devil will be glad to give you the entertainment you want. He'll, he'll perform for you forever just to deceive you and keep you ineffective. But if you seek Jesus, all of that follows you. That's, let's get back to basics. Let's don't be Jimmy who says, gimme, let's be Father, make me. Let's, let's move into the fullness of what he has. Now, again, I, I got saved, and when I was saved, there was a perceiver gift in me. You know, you're born with gifts when you come into this world. What you do with those, whether you yield that to God or not, is another story. You know, there are people with prophetic gifts that are in darkness and that become tarot card readers or palm readers or fortune tellers, they have a genuine gift, but it's not yielded to God. But you're all born with gifts. And you can exercise those gifts and become very proficient. It doesn't mean you've got the favor or the endorsement of heaven. So there was something in me that, you know, as I would read these things, especially when I got to the saints, the patriarchs that had Jesus visit him face to face. And one of the persons early on that captured me was... Papa Hagen, who would talk about Jesus appearing to him, and I went, oh, I want that. You know, all these people loved Rhema and loved his teaching, but they just denied that. God doesn't do that anymore. But something sparked in me. I went, oh, Lord, I want that. And again, I, I shared a little last night. I got saved at age 17 and, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And that was when I got my BS, baptized in the Spirit. <clears throat> and so... One day I'm reading the scripture and I came across 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now here's, this is what, I, I, I love this. They say you've got to take scripture in context. Well, what context do you mean? Your context? Or the context God is speaking to me of? And it says, it's not right that I should boast. However, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. That little portion, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord hit me. And I went, yes, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. It became a revelation in my spirit. Now, again, brother, that's out of context. God can say boo and give you revelation. He knows how to communicate with you in a manner in which you can receive. 
You have to use wisdom. You can't always tell what God said to you in the manner in which he speaks it to you, but you can communicate what God is saying in essence. And I use Bob Jones for this. Bob was a fascinating individual. He, he was a hillbilly from the go. But he would, he would have this communication method with God that was really quite different. If you walked up to him and you had a five-fold ministry, if, he, if you're an evangelist, his finger would twitch. If you're a prophet, this one would twitch. If you're an apostle, this one would twitch. So, I mean, I watched people. My sister was with me one time in a meeting, and he said, my index finger's twitching. You're a prophet. She goes, oh, my God, is that new age? I said, no, that's hillbilly. <laughs> Why? Because that's how God communicated with him. He understood that language. It was valid. It's how you present that that makes it either something that can be accepted or not. So you don't have to tell people how you receive your communication. You can just communicate what God is saying. That's called interpretation. No, that's, you know, we go to many countries. We have translators with us, not the kind like that, but they have to. And so you have these translators there with you. I love this. We had a, a, a brother in May, uh, yeah, Malaysia. L little Chinese brother had a church, and he was one of the best translators. If I would move this way, he'd, I mean, it was like a mirror. And I'd say something like this, and he'd say something like this. And I said, wow, did I say all that? And he goes, yeah. And I said, man, I'm good. <laughs> I say more in a little bit than most people can say. And we would just have fun. But you see, how you convey what God gives you is important. So you don't want people to stumble on, this is how God talks to me. Right? So this context method, though it can be a valid way to study Scripture, the only true context is what the Spirit breathes life into and communicates with you. Am I making sense? So that's what we have to understand. And so I knew I'm going to come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And I told you a little bit about my journey last night, how seasons of brokenness, because I always prayed, Lord, whatever it takes... He said, oh, you opened a door there. And he did. He took me through the school of crushing, brokenness. And I, I, I won't change it for a thing. I learned invaluable lessons. But it shifted my understanding of Scripture and how God really deals in love. How many of you have had children? There's times those children need correction. Well, now it's time out. Although that might warp their psyche now too. But my Bible says, you know, sometimes you got to spank your kid. Oh, my God. You know, I grew up with six brothers and sisters, six siblings. My parents were not perfect. They're not perfect. But they did the best they could with what they had, what they would raise with. And they would correct us. And every time it was my turn. <laughs> I only do this because I love you. <laughs> they loved me the best. <laughs> Just saying. Sometimes I felt that way with God. He loves me the best because he beats me all the time. <laughs> but you got to understand the love of God is not the foo-foo of man. Yeah. This. Yeah, I better be careful. I, I, I'm going to do it. What the heck? 
How can you take psychiatry and psychology, which came through the channeling of a demon? Freud even agreed to this. This is what, and embrace that and bring it into the church and say it's Christian psychology. You have a mixture. I'm not against people. Do you understand? I'm not against that. I know it's helped some people. I'm just saying, how can you take a foundation that's shaky at best and build on that the kingdom of heaven? You can't. And, they, you know, Spock, Dr. Spock, don't spank your children. Don't raise your voice. Don't give them timeouts. Let them cuss you and swear at you and do whatever they want because it's building their character. Yeah, it's building their character. And it's sad. We have to be. We have to go back to scripture. I, I, I jokingly, you know, God, God, God's the one who invented fivefold ministry, right? Yeah. Oh, that's good. So, <laughs> uh-oh, we have a warrior in here. Now, so I continued to pursue God, knowing that there was more, and having that unction, and I wouldn't settle for anything less. And the Lord began to open my understanding because I'm a, I'm a person, I'm a lover of the Word of God and a lover of the God of the Word. I, we talk about that. He loves the Word of God too. I've got 87 different versions of the Bible. I've got word studies. I mean, you, Reshma goes, do you actually read all those? I said, check them out. I, I underline all my books. So she goes, yep, I guess you do. I, I just, that's my favorite thing. And so... When I have an experience, I started having experiences, but I wouldn't share experiences until I went to the Word of God. Because if I don't have the foundation of Scripture, what I have at best is dangerous. Now, listen. There are things that we can experience that we've never seen in Scripture because we don't have the full revelation of the Scripture. And I don't look in Scripture to validate an experience. I look in Scripture to, tr to find truth about an experience. And I can be teachable. I have God says, no, that wasn't me. I said, well, thank God for teaching me that. All right. I, you know, don't worry about making a mistake. You wouldn't be here without the mistakes you've made in your life. You know, when I used to play football, the, I was a wide receiver. They, the coach always said, if you're going to get hit and go down, fall towards the goal. So, you know, we're all going to stumble and fall at times in our life. That's okay. Fall towards the goal. Get up and keep going. Yeah. But don't, don't stop. The only failure in the kingdom is the one who gets knocked down and never gets back up. Because we're all flawed. We all have issues. We all have challenges in our life. But we all have the same solution to those challenges. It's the blood of Jesus and the word of God. So keep going. And you'll never... And stop looking backwards. You're never going to be able to go forwards if you're looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to hit something. Forgetting those things which are behind. Even your successes. Why? Again, as a young man, when I would go to these meetings with my dad, you know, I would hear the same testimonies for years. These guys had an experience with God and they would camp there. They would live there and everything else paled. In, and you, I could give their testimony better than they could. 
And I went, dear God, what is going on? I said, Lord, aren't you doing anything in their life today? He said, I'm trying, but they won't let me. Forgetting those things, you know, so I made a covenant with God when I was about 18 years old. I said, Lord, I'm not going to write down and remember all the experiences I have in Christ. I'm grateful for him, and at the time, he knows I'm... I said, but if you ever want me to repeat anything that you've done, I'll let your spirit bring it back to my remembrance. That way I'm not living back there. I'm moving forward into the new thing. But you can give me building blocks and, and instruction through those things. So I, I'm, I'm challenging you with that. Don't look backwards anymore. Don't look at old moves, old revivals, old revelations, old miracles. No, he's got fresh manna today. You want the new thing. You're not going to get the new thing holding on to the old thing. So I kept going. And I began to get revelation from Scripture about seeing in the realm of the Spirit. You know, I, I went to Bible college. I also worked at TBN, and it was a little bit different back then. They had just built their newest studio, and it was a li- I loved the live show. It was dynamic. It was creative, everything. It was fun. It was educational. But the prayer counselors now, we, we developed friendships with one of them. One of them was a woman who was like a second mother to most people in there. And One weekend we're going to a, I forget, a Shabbat meeting somewhere. She was into the Hebraic roots even way back then. And, and so we're driving down, I think it was the 605. I don't remember which one it was. There's so many freeways down there. And I'm looking out the window. This grandma was Mario Andretti's mother, I think. She was... <laughs> so I'm just looking out the window praying quietly like, save me, Jesus. <laughs> and all of a sudden she said, ow! And I turned and looked. And I saw something. But I didn't say nothing. She's moving way too fast. And if I scared her, we'd have been off the road somewhere. I said, what's the matter? She said... I had a pain in my shoulder last night during the prayer session and they prayed and it left but it's back and it really hurts and I said oh is it right there and she said oh my god that's exactly where it is how did you know I said oh God showed me I said in the name of Jesus be gone and the demon that was sitting on her shoulder with an ice pick looking at stabbing her flew out of the car hit the slipstream and went and she went oh it's gone See, having a capacity to see in the realm of the Spirit changes everything. It, it, I mean, it makes ministry very interesting, and it makes it fun, and it makes it accurate. So I began to have these type of experiences, seeing the demonic. I wasn't looking for... You don't have to look for demons. They're all over. Okay, I'm going to do this. There's an argument, a theological debate, that Christians can't have demons. You can have any friend you want. What did Jesus call the the children's bread? Remember in Matthew 15, the the woman, the Canaan woman, Canaanite woman, who came to Jesus and her daughter was demon-possessed. And she came crying out to Jesus and he just ignores her. That's pretty cold. He's ignoring her. 
While she came saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know where she got that historically? Blind Bartimaeus. See, blind Bartimaeus had passion in his heart. And this is part of what we're teaching today. He was a man of a, a tremendous passion. He had heard a testimony about a miracle worker named Jesus of Nazareth. And so something sprang up in his spirit. He began to have hope, and then he began to have, boy, I wonder if he's ever going to come this way. Boy, if he comes this way, and passion began to burn in him. He's like, if he ever comes this way, I gotta, I'm only going to get one chance. I might never get another. So one day he hears this mob, and he's oh, what, what's going on? What's going on? And somebody said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He said, what? Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Shh, we do things quietly in an order in our church. Be quiet. My question is, where did he get Jesus of Nazareth? Because passion unlocks revelation. Passion for Jesus unlocks revelation about Jesus. And they tried to shut him up, and he cried even louder. Don't tell me to shut up. You can see, and I can't. Jesus! Keep your religious protocol. And Jesus stopped. You read this, the Gospels. Jesus always stopped at the cry of passion every single time. He stops. He said, bring them here. Now those guys that were saying, shut up, said, oh, the master calls. Let me help you. Get away from me. Opportunists everywhere. Believe me, if you start flowing in your gift and God begins to promote you, all of a sudden you're going to have friends you never knew you had. Only they're not your friends. And then he threw off his mantle. Now, this is key. In order for that man to sit there and beg, he had to be inspected by the Levitical priesthood who examined his eyes and said, you are blind. And they gave him that mantle, that cloak, as a license to sit there and beg. Because if he begged without that, he would have been arrested. This is what passion says. I'm never coming back again. It's all or nothing. And he went to Jesus, and Jesus said, what is it you want? He said, Lord, I want to see. The Lord said, your faith has made you whole. Rejoice. Instantly, his eyes are open. And he began to sing and dance, and he followed Jesus. It's so much easier to follow Jesus when you can see him. But, now here's the interesting thing. This man, you know the reason he was blind? The word blind there is to be obscured with smoke, to be high-minded, to be lifted up with pride. He was blinded because of pride. So much of spiritual blindness in the church is pride. So how do you see Jesus? Die. Dead men don't have pride. Live the crucified life. So here's this Canaanite woman in, in Matthew 15. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why do you read a common book of prayer? Why do you pray somebody else's prayer? Oh, might be a launch point for you, but really? That's like if I have a relationship with my wife and somebody else has written a love letter to their wife and I take that and... My beloved. <laughs> She's going to know immediately, what kind of garbage is that? That's not how you talk. <laughs> That's not the real you. Why do we do that? Just be real with Jesus. I mean, I remember the time I threw the Bible in the air right at God. I missed him. <laughs> Couldn't throw that hard. But I was angry. You know, he didn't go. Pfft. When I calmed down, he says, okay, now pick it up and read it again. 
He loved me. Just be real with God. He already knows what you're thinking and what you he knows you better than you know. Whoa. So she's parroting, and Jesus ignores her. And the disciples take that cue and go, Well, Jesus isn't listening to her. Can we get rid of her? She's annoying. And Jesus said, Listen, I'm not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Besides that, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Oh, now we add insult to injury. I'm now I'm a dog. <laughs> Actually, in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, that was an affectionate term for a household pet that was well-beloved. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? No, I'm not going to say that, you dog. <laughs> so, then it says in verse 25 of Matthew 15, she worshipped him, saying... Now, she went from this can prayer, this manipulative way in which to extract from Jesus what she wants, to worship. Lord, help me! She worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me! Now he stops, because now passion's coming out. Here's the key. The children's bread was what? What was she asking for? Deliverance for her daughter from demonic oppression. That's the children's bread. Children of God. Don't tell me Christians can't have demons. But their portion is to be set free from that. And since I'm on this, she had to contend with Jesus to receive for her daughter. Then we have Mark 5, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She spent all of her living on doctors. They were still just practicing back then. And was no wise better. She, she couldn't get better. And so what does she do? She hears about Jesus. She sneaks to the crowd. Now, do you understand that was a capital offense according to Levitical law? Everywhere she went, she's supposed to say, unclean, unclean, so people can get away. But no, she's so desperate, she sneaks through the crowd and says, if I just touch the hem of his tallit, because it says the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, the tallit, the wings of his prayer shawl. If I just touch it, I'll be healed. And instantly she's healed, and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples, the wise guys that they were, said, Lord, what are you talking about? There's a crowd. What do you mean, who touched you? There's hundreds of people here pressing in. He said, no, boys. There's a touch of faith, not a touch of the flesh. Who touched me? And she knew she had been... So here's the, here's the dichotomy. You have one contending and, and pounding on the gates of heaven for the healing for her daughter, and one who just comes and steals her healing. How can that be? Simple. He already told her. I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The gospel's not coming to the Gentiles for another 20-some years. But by faith, she reached into the future and grabbed what was hers. But this one, a daughter of Abraham, because she's in covenant, came and took what was already hers. Oh, you better get this. You have a covenant. Stop begging for something that's already yours. That's not faith. Well, you know, it says we've got to, just like the unjust judge, we've got to... He's not an unjust judge. He's a righteous, loving God. He's already given you everything you need. 
You know, when Reshma and I got married over 15 years ago now, when she moved to America, the first time she'd been out of Fiji, she, and we set up house, you know, she didn't come to me every day and say, is it okay if I go in the refrigerator and get something to eat? Can I have a glass of water? I mean, that would have driven me up the wall. Higher. <laughs> no, we were in covenant. What's mine was hers, and what's hers is mine. Right? That's covenant. I don't have to beg for... She doesn't have to beg. You don't have to beg God for what's already yours. Some of you are so anxious and worried about the natural thing. Lord, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? He already said he'd provide for you. Why don't you just say, Father, thank you for the provision. Now the cares are gone, the anxiety gone, the joy of the Lord is yours, and you walk in the fullness of life. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their seed begging bread. Righteousness, the righteous means those in right standing with God. Those who have the correct revelation and application of that revelation are never forsaken. Isn't God good? So, what I'm sharing with you today is already yours by covenant. You don't have to beg, manipulate, you know, do the 37 steps and, you know, two twirls and a backflip. Just receive it. If you're born again, this belongs to you. As a matter of fact, when you can see, you can discern too. Do you know that? Look at Balaam's donkey. I think you qualify. If the donkey can see to discern, why can't we? I, I, I shared this not long ago. I said, you know, for over 47 years I've studied Scripture and, and uh, I was fascinated with Balaam's donkey for years and I, for years I tried to discover the name of Balaam's donkey and then one day I found it. His name is Bruce. <laughs> donkey Ministries. That donkey was a servant, a beast of burden. And he could see. And he could see. That's the funniest thing about Balaam. The donkey starts talking to him and he begins to argue with the donkey. It's like, are you out of your mind? When's the last time you had an argument with a donkey? And it's talking to you. And it, that seemed to, right over his head, I went, wow. <laughs> now, as human beings, we're very aware of the natural realm. How could we not? Well, some of us are aware of the natural realm. You know, when I was in military intelligence, I, I had a test. I know that's oxymoron. Military intelligence. Okay. But they would take you into an outer office. You'd sit there for two minutes, then they'd bring you in for an interview. What did you see in the outer office? Describe. How many pencils? What angle was the pad of paper? What pictures on the wall? They wanted to see if you were paying attention we hear but don't hear we see but don't see we don't pay attention the problem is in the natural realm we're so fixated on the natural we think this is the penultimate reality now we're learning better but we're so distracted with the natural realm that the spirit realm that is all around us and there's great activity we don't connect with because we're distracted. Here's the first lesson. You learn to see in the realm of the spirit with your eyes closed because your spiritual eyes are not wired to your natural eyes. 
so you have to remove distraction and see. How many of you have ever been going about your business, all of a sudden you see something out of the corner of your eye and you move, you look, and I say, oh, there's nothing there. What was that? Let me give you a key. This takes effort and discipline. Next time that happens, close your eyes and look. Because you were catching something supernatural. Close your eyes and look. The more you begin to practice this, the more it becomes clear. Now, there's got to be scripture for all this. Right? It says this in Matthew 23, 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves. Now, you have to study this in the original language. You don't go in... And you don't allow anybody else to go in. You shut up men against the kingdom. You shut the door and lock it through your tradition, through your religion. And so you, God's people do not have access to the fullness of what's theirs. It literally means to step into, to cross over the threshold into, to walk in that dimension of... You know, Jesus taught more on the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God than he ever did on salvation. Because everything he did was to bring you back into the household, the family of God, where you have access to everything that God is. So he taught on the kingdom. And you have access to the kingdom through covenant. It belongs to you. Acts 10.40, it says, Him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day. You know, some years ago, quite a few years ago now, 1997, we'd have Easter, talked about the third day for years and years and years, you know. But for some reason, somebody mentioned third day one time in a meeting, and something struck my spirit. Third day. And I began to study the third day. And the prophetic promise, that's why I wrote the book, Promise of the Third Day. The the parallels, the unlocking of the revelation for this generation is beyond comprehension. Why? 2 Peter 3.8 says, A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So you're either a lot older than you think you are, or you're a lot younger. (laughs) I'll leave that to you and God. But you were with Him before the world was created. So... So the prophetic promise, look at on the third day, early in the morning on the third day, Mary went to the garden tomb. And Jesus, the body of Jesus wasn't there. You read the book of Matthew, that was Luke 1. You read the book, or excuse me, 24. You read the book of Matthew, and you find out that the Pharisees asked Herod to put a guard and a seal on the tomb, which they did. So here's the very first thing that happened. There was an earthquake. Now pay attention to the prophetic significance. We have more earthquakes in one day than we used to have in a hundred years on planet Earth right now. These are all portents. They're all signs. They're all speaking if you know how to hear. Then angels appeared. We're having more visitations and activity of the angelic in this generation than any past generation that's ever been made aware of. Then you had the fear of the Lord. Because those security guards, those guards 
fell over as dead men because the glory of God was released. The Lord told me years ago, the last great move we're going to see on planet Earth is going to be holiness, purity, and the fear of the Lord. And I want to tell you, there's not going to be any mockery. Because the moment somebody tries that, Ananias and Sapphira are going to pale in comparison. It's already been happening in churches of friends we know. They're mocking what God's doing and they're dying. I'm telling you. Then you have the stone rolled away. Now the stone, when we have, God, man was created out of the dust of the earth. So stone is a type of earth. So there's got to be some application to the human being. It's the hardness of heart. It's the lack of revelation and insight. The stone is rolled away. And what happens? The word comes forth. Jesus. In resurrection, life, and power. But here's the thing. When Mary, remember, now back to Luke, Mary sees two angels in the garden tomb and says, where is he? She didn't go, oh, angels. That wasn't even on the radio. Who cares? She's looking for Jesus, and because of her passion for Jesus, she has encounters with angels. Should I say that again? Have a passion for Jesus, angelic encounters are normal. 1-800-JESUS on the line. <laughs> then she goes outside, and there's Jesus, and she doesn't recognize. How could you not recognize? You just put him, what? Why? Because she had a religious box. You, you follow this out in Luke 24. The road to Emmaus is very clear on this. Two disciples, two is the number of witness. Going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven and a half miles from Jerusalem. Seven is completion, one aspect. Eight is new beginning, so they're almost into a new beginning. They're discussing Jesus. And by the way, Emmaus means to be hot from sunrise to sunset, consistent passion. It's the third day. And they're talking about Jesus as they're moving towards consistent passion, and he comes alongside. He says, what are you talking about? <laughs> really? Are you the only one that doesn't know what just happened? Hey, yeah, I, I heard about it. <laughs> they didn't recognize him. Well, Luke 24, 21 tells why. We were hoping that he was the one to come. But we have a religious box that says this is how he has to come. And so they're blinded to the reality of the revelation of who he truly is. I'm telling you, Nobody has it right today on how he's returning. You live each day like he's coming today, you'll be safe. But we're blinded by our knowing. Sorry. So he's walking with them, and he says he opens the scripture and expounds to them everything in the scripture concerning who he was. How would you like Jesus to come and give you a Bible study like that? Yeah. Well, guess what? It's the third day. He wants to. Yeah. The key is move towards consistent passion. And it unlocks revelation. When they reached Emmaus, they reached their goal. He's, he's testing their passion. He's acting as if he's going to keep going. They said, and they constrained him saying, I mean, that's a burning fervency and passion. No, 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 don't go. He said, oh, okay. He 
came in to see down with them and have meal and he broke the bread and blessed it and their eyes were opened and he vanished isn't it fun that you could do the same things he does and they said didn't our hearts burn within us though they ran back now they're really passionate I'm telling you this third day is so impregnated with prophetic potential for the church at large. That's what I wrote about in that book. We, we have no concept. So they both, they both marry at the garden tomb and the disciples early on the third day, what came forth out of that tomb was revelation. That's why there is so much revelation being released on this fulfillment of a prophetic third day unlike any other time in history. Amen, brother. Thank you. So Acts 10 says, Him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly. It's the third day. You want to hear a wild story? Oh, that's most of you. That's pretty good. Even though there's only a handful of you. Okay. We were ministering in Malaysia. And um, I was staying in a hotel before the meeting and I was on the 13th floor. And all of a sudden, this storm moved over the hotel. Now, Malaysia, it's subtropical. I mean, you get that all the time. But this was different. This storm came right over the hotel. And for three hours or more, that lightning struck that hotel. I got a chair, sat down to the window and said, Dear God, Lord, what is this? This is amazing. They told me later, You shouldn't have died. You could have died. I said, Cool. Worst the world can do is threaten me with heaven. But I, I knew it was supernatural. And just before they were coming to pick me up to take me to the church, now when it was clear, you could see this, this office complex where the church was because you're not allowed to build a church in Malaysia. You can start a business, get a location, and sublet it to a church. That's how they get around that. And the government's okay with that, but you can't build a church. So it was a gated compound on a road that was at least a mile long. They're right in the middle. And there's a guard shack. Four stories. And so here's this storm. Just when they come in to get me, it moves over top of the church. The guy that picked me up was a uh, medical doctor. He's a scientist too. And he said, I've never seen anything like that. I said, yeah, it's supernatural. So we get to the go in, lets me off underneath the overhang. And as I'm Moving towards the elevator, all of a sudden the pastor and his wife come up, so I waited. We got in the elevator, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Ask of me a sign. And I'm going, Really? <laughs> and so I've always, you know, when the Lord challenges me like this, my first thing is this I'm going to ask so large and so big, it's impossible for man. I mean, I just go, Okay, I got a pretty good imagination. I go, Hmm. I said, Okay. I told the pastor and his wife what the Lord said, and he said, Okay, what are you going to ask for? I said, Lord, I'm asking that Jesus will come in the meeting tonight and everybody will see him. They got excited. Yeah! So we went into the meeting. Over 800 people. And so, you know, you did the stuff. I was up teaching, and I saw one of the elders come in with a, with a man in a red shirt. He's walking like this. I thought it was going to take him a week to get to the chair. He was way over there. But here's what happened. 
the elder was still down at the gate in the guard shack with the, the, the guard, and this guy comes up to the gate, and he's just like this, and dripping wet, and they, they looked at him, and they thought, oh, my God, somebody just mugged this man. He looks beat. He said, may I come in? And the elder said, oh, yes. He took him, and he led him up, and he said, come on in, and I'll take you to the third floor. We'll find you something dry to wear. And he said, you, you go into the men's restroom. Just go in the first stall, and I'll go to the office. And they're going up in the elevator. He said, oh, no, that stall's dirty. I'll go into the third stall. <laughs> so he takes him into the restroom, and sure enough, it's just like that. And he, just went, he, he didn't think about it. He ran back into the office. He rummaged around. He found a nice black T-shirt. I'll get him a nice warm cup of coffee because now he's in air conditioning, see? So he comes back in, and the man's standing there like this. And he, he has glasses on. He says, I, I don't wear black, and I don't like coffee. It's not about wearing black. It's the, it, this was a test. And he went, oh, okay, I'll be back. And he ran, and he rummaged around. He found a bottle of water, and oh, there's a, tear, a, a red shirt. He comes back, and he's, he walks in, and the man goes, oh, I love red. And he grabs the shirt. He takes off what he had on. And it looked like he had just been whipped. He was pulverized. And he had a hole in his side. And this, of course this elder is like, oh my God. And all sorts of marks in his head. But he was in disguise. Just like Clark Kent, you know. <laughs> so they come into the meeting. Every time, now he was sitting there like this. They, they, they made fun of me later. They said, you put Jesus to sleep. <laughs> I said, no, 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 you don't understand rest. He trusted me. Had you been preaching, he'd have been wide awake. <laughs> but every time the lightning would flash, he'd look up and say, oh, they're trying to get in, but they can't. And the elder's kind of going, you know, move over. And then every time I would mention the name of Jesus or the blood of Jesus, he'd look up and say, did somebody call me? The elders are like, uh, no. So at the end, the Lord, the Lord, at the end, the pastor said, sent this medical doctor over, said, assess what this brother needs so we can pray for him. And said, the medical doctor went and looked at him and said, oh my God, call an ambulance. He said, I don't want one. I'm fine. So the pastor finally walks over and says, come up to the front, sir, so we can pray for you. So they get and they're doing this. And Pastor Colin just looked and he said, in the name of Jesus, rise and be healed. And the man went, the elder said, are, are you a Christian? He said, no. <laughs> God's merciful. I don't remember what we ministered to him that night. <laughs> but when we were done, the elder said, so what, what should we do with him, Pastor? He said, well, here's some money. Let's, he can get a taxi. And, and the, he go over. He said, no, I, I don't need money. And then a lady from the back who hadn't witnessed that came forward and said, I want to bless you with some money. And it was a lot of money. I don't need money. And he reached into his pockets, brought out freshly minted, brand new, $2,000. And they went, oh, well, take him down to the gate, and he can use the phone and call the taxi. And so pastor his wife, Reshma, wasn't on this trip. We went to the hotel and fellowshiped and that. And on the way home, he went, oh, wait a minute. You, I challenged Bruce, and... You didn't show up. And the Lord said, oh, but I did. And all of a sudden, he sees this guy's face. And the pastor slams on his brakes, pulls to the side of the road, calls the elder and says, where is he? He 
said, Pastor, I, I didn't know what to tell you. I did it. This is what happened. We took him to the gate. We're dialing the phone, and he vanished. And the pastor drove around for two hours looking for him. <laughs> Your car doesn't get that kind of mileage. So the next day he's telling me this at breakfast, right? And I heard the Lord laughing. I said, that ain't right. You know why? He gave me exactly what I asked it. Asked it. Here we go. He gave me exactly what I asked. He showed up. Everybody saw him. We just didn't recognize him. He still does that today. God's good. I mean, he's doing... That story, I mean, that was in the, the Agape magazine in Malaysia. God, extraordinary things are happening. And that's not because I'm special. That's because God wants to show himself to his people in a way we've never experienced. He showed himself openly. How about it, John 8, 5, or 56? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was... What? How, how does that work? We'll get there. Now, Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. That's what God does. He declares the end from the beginning, the principle of the first mention, again, as I shared last night. So here's the first mention. And I briefly touched on this. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God face to face every day in the cool of the garden. That is God's idea of relationship. That was the picture of relationship, the first one you have in Scripture. Actually, it's even deeper than that. The very first picture of relationship is, and Elohim said, you have a triune picture of relationship that they're so significantly, significantly intertwined that they're all one. That's relationship to God. Wow. And so, that's the plumb line. Now, Adam and Eve rebelled, sinned, and fell away from relationship. Now there was a gap. But God made a way through covenant, which I shared with you, they could come back into relationship. But God's never changed His mind. That's relationship. So we have to have the plumb line as what we focus on when we come into the kingdom. This is what relationship with God is. I have access to the throne of... Doesn't Paul say that you can come boldly before the throne of grace? You know what religion says? Yes, you should be here without ceasing. That's a given. But you've got to understand what he's actually saying in the original Aramaic. You can come boldly in Daddy and sit in his lap and talk with him. That's what it means. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. In the Aramaic he said, I've run the course, I've finished the race, bride come forth. And then the veil was rent from top to bottom. 18 inches thick, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, two cherubim painted or embroidered on the front. Don't enter the garden. Flaming swords. And the father went, Come on in, kids, I've missed you. Yes, Jesus. Now you have access. Once again. 
And the Pharisees said, no, you can't go in there. You've got to listen to us. Because our opinion is higher than the Scripture. Test everything by the Word of God. Look, I don't... It's not important to me if you agree with me. Take everything I say and go back to the Word. You agree with the Word. You don't have to agree with the man. Now, in Genesis 28, we have a picture story of Jacob. I love this story. Jacob's on a journey. He gets tired. He's going towards Beersheba. And he came to a certain place. And he stayed there all night. Listen, in the study of metaphor and things in Scripture, when evening falls, darkness is falling, it's the beginning of a new day, or it can be also speak of the end of the age, when darkness falls and great darkness comes upon the earth and the people. So, as night fell, he comes to a certain place and he stays there all night. Pay attention to this. It's very important. He took one of the stones, placed it by his head, and he laid down to sleep. Hotel six. Hard pillows. Hard pillows. No. It's a metaphor. See, they agree, they they understood that if remember Joshua took a stone when he entered into covenant and he said, Let this stone be witness? Is recording everything we say? Matter has memory. So, here you have, he takes a stone, places it at his head, and he goes to sleep. Why? It's a picture of the stone the builders rejected, Jesus. His meditations as he fell off to sleep. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. See, if you start to exercise a discipline of every night as you're going to sleep, you're not going to let your mind just go, but you focus on Jesus you will have encounters all night long. So then he falls asleep. And what does he see? He sees a ladder going from earth, that's flesh, that's man, it starts with you, to heaven. Now the ladder wasn't straight, it was like this. Spiral staircase. A helix. Life. He sees angels ascending and descending, and one like the Son of God. He got up in the morning. Here's a first mention. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am the house of God. You are the house of God. What is it supposed to look like? An open heaven. Amen or oh no? Amen. You're to live as a, you. You're to live under an open heaven consistently. Yes. This is normal Christianity, not spectacular one-off experience I had multiple generations ago. This can be daily, and it should be because you have access. Okay. That's why in the night season, at the end of the age, this is going to become the norm. Okay, you'll get that later. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know your temple is the body? So we are, con we are a walking open heaven. Jesus said, I am the door, didn't he? Yes. But he also said, I'm knocking at the door. Yeah. So you're a door. You're his body. You're part of that door. But you have control over the door. You can open or close the door that you are. <laughs> we can kick down the door. So our birthright is to see and interact with the Lord face to face. You know, I started getting this, and hungering for this, and a good friend of, a mutual friend of ours, brother by the name of Fred Weikert who lived in Post Falls, Idaho and oftentimes when these guys would come through Larry Randolph, Bobby Connor, Bob, they'd all sit in a specific chair in his house and he said oh they all sit there and I said okay, why? They said it's a thin place I went really? Can I sit there? He said yeah I said what do I do? He said just press in into the chair that's so obtuse. You know, press in. Yeah. I said, okay. I, I said, okay. I sat down. See, the only thing I know is to focus with intent. So I have an intention in my heart. Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to encounter you. So I focus. How's, how do I keep my focus? See, your mind, it's proven. Your mind within eight seconds is foom, foom, foom. So I keep focus by continually repeating in my heart or quietly under my breath, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Lord, I love you. See, that keeps my focus. That works for me. You find your own, your own tool. But that works for me. So I, I would focus that way. I, and I'm sitting there. And all I'm seeing is gray. And it, I'm going and going. And he's doing some stuff in the house. Yeah, I was aware of but I'm just seeing gray. But you know what? I didn't get discouraged. I said, I know there's a residue anointing. That much I know by faith. I said, I'm staying here. After about 45 minutes, once the coffee was cooking, there's a key there. All of a sudden, the gray started going like this. And I started seeing cracks and light. And I'm like, now, now I'm pressing. Oh, what is that? Paradise. And I jumped out of the chair and went, whoa! Fred starts laughing. He goes, yep. I said, wow. I said, can I do that again? He goes, yep. I sat down. Took just a few moments. Paradise. I said, Lord, what, what was that? He said, it's the layers of flesh. You're, you're coming through the layers of flesh, that residue, that buildup of gunk for so many years of your life that have blocked you from the reality of my kingdom and you just allowed me to remove it slowly so that you could step in. It, it, now see, I don't have to go through this process all the time. I can sit down and psh, I'm there. I, I had, the only expectation I had was, Lord, I, I have intent. I want something. The expectation was, I trust you, Lord. I didn't have an expectation. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see Jesus. Angels are going to dance. I Just, I love you, Jesus. And it shifted everything. I went, 
That's how that works? <laughs> yep. Thank you, Fred. But it shifted everything for my life because I went, okay, God, give me scripture. That's where a lot of this came from. Give me scripture. This is yours by birthright. Psalm 27, 8 says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Why would God tell you to seek his faith if no man could see his face and live? What's up with that? Well, you don't understand the scripture. No man with Adamic DNA, a fallen nature, or un the sin in your life, apart from the sovereignty of God who wants to reveal himself, you're not going to walk in this until you deal with those things. Once you're born again, you have different DNA. Do you know the DNA God invested in you? Listen to me. Some of you need healing in here today. The DNA you have in you is corruption-free. Yes, it is. Sin, sickness, and death cannot live and abide in that body unless you let it. I can go even deep. We'll get deeper. You have the mind of Christ. I don't know if I can remember that. Well, stop using your mind and use the one he gave you. I, that's how crazy I am. Matter of fact, if you live like Paul did, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't even have to rely on my faith. I can use his faith. His faith, nothing's impossible. I agree with you, Jesus. There was a time I would practice walking on water. I, I'm just crazy like this. God, you, Peter did it. You, tell me to come. He said, come on. I said, okay. Boom, swim. I kept doing it, and they're laughing at me. <laughs> I got really good at swimming. That doesn't discourage me. How many of you, the first time you ever dove, dove into a pool and never had a swimming lesson in your life, swam like an Olympic champion? If you did, touch me. <laughs> no, you, you practice makes proficient. So I just keep doing these things. People say, you're weird. I say, you know, I'm normal. I believe God. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. We've used and handled the Word of God so lightly in a religious, non-approachable way that we've come to take it for granted. Get away from the religious doctrine. I look, I pick on that because I hate the spirit of religion. There are some traditions that are beneficial. I don't know which ones, but there are. <laughs> but do you understand? Go back to Scripture. You know, Jesus was considered a Karaite. What's that? A scripturalist. He didn't take the traditions of the, the hypocrites. Do you know in rabbinical understanding, because God anointed the rabbis of the line of Aaron to interpret Torah, that their opinion and their interpretation was higher than the word of God itself? Therefore, their traditions took a preeminent place even over scripture? That's why Jesus would always say, you say this, but the Word says this. You say this, but the Scripture says... He always took them back to the Word. Not the opinion. 
not the intellectual assent or comprehension of a spiritual supernatural thing. You can't figure out the Word of God with your intellect. That's why cemeteries, seminaries, bring forth humanistic religion. More people go in and lose their faith and come out agnostic or atheist when when they went in, they're, they're, they're believing in Christ because they're they're logically reasoned away from the reality of relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean all of it is, is bad, but I mean, having studied a lot of that, I mean, you wade through this deep. Then you come out and have to unlearn so much of what the intellect grasped. We've got to get back to the Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit. All, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is spiritually discerned, not intellectually discerned. Hallelujah. So we take one verse out of Exodus 33.20 that says, No man can see my face and live as the final verse in authority on the matter and establish a theology of doubt based upon it. Doubt and unbelief. Oh, you can't see God. He doesn't do that. Okay. Why did he tell me to look into a mirror and see Jesus? You unrighteous God, you. Why would you tell me to do something that everybody says we can't do? He didn't. It's the intellect. If you seek the face of God, you'll find it. He says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And he'll open it. That means, that speaks of a passionate pursuit. Do you know that? Just That passion will keep you there. I'm not leaving until you answer. I'm not going until I see. That's what that is a picture of. Be passionate for God. And listen, if a day is is a thousand years with the Lord, if you ask Him a question, don't get upset in your 10-minute prayer life that He doesn't answer you right there. (laughs) I've asked Him questions and understanding this relationship. I ask Him a question. Sometimes it's days or weeks before He answers, but He does it according to His flow, not my timing. It's harder in this generation because we get everything like this. They that wait upon the Lord. He gave me a perfect picture of that once. I said, Lord, what does it mean to wait on you? And instantly I saw a waiter. Can I take your order? Can I help you with your bag? Those who serve the Lord will renew their strength. It also has a connotation of let's wait on God. But it's much more. Waiting is much more than sitting on your blessed assurance. (laughs) Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The glory that Moses had asked God for and to see was revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories, I only have a few favorite scriptures. Starts in Genesis 1 and goes to Revelation 22. <laughs> but was in Yeah, maybe I better wait. Maybe I better wait. No, I'm going to do it. Was when Peter and John were arrested. 
for healing the lame man. And they locked him in prison, and the next day they brought him out. And here's what the Pharisees said. We can tell you're ignorant and unlearned men, but we can also tell you've been with Jesus. Can that be said of you? Well, the first half probably. <laughs> can people tell you've been with Jesus? Do they see him in you? Or are we chameleons? We blend in. We're not going to offend anybody. Look, I'm not saying get in people's face and go, hey, you got to. No, but Jesus is love. Yeah, I mean, his character becomes evident in a sea of darkness and corruption and perversion and all these other things. When light comes, it doesn't even have to speak, it just is. And people are attracted to light. Do they see Jesus in you? I, I've known people that are so smeared. That's what anointed means. Smeared with the presence and the, 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 the love of God. I mean, just they walk into a room and you just kind of go, ah, oh, he's here. It's okay to be ignorant and unlearned men. All of us are ignorant in some things. Some of us in a lot of things. But I want to know, be known that I've been with Jesus. Now, in John 1.51, Jesus said, From this point on, hereafter, you see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Direct reference to Genesis and Jacob. But Jesus was saying this, From this point, from this point forward, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the body of Christ. Angelic activity is normal in the Christian's life. You don't see them because you haven't attuned your spiritual eyes to that frequency of light. That's why cameras can catch frequencies of light, the naked eye can't, and you can capture supernatural things. Spirit realm is real. I've actually had people come up in meetings and say, all I see was demons, and I asked God to take it away. I said, what's the matter with you? You know, if you can see demons, they can't sneak up on you. <laughs> Novel idea. Well, it scared me. Okay, you don't know who you really are. You should be scaring them. And you know what? God, God honored that. He took it away. And now they're begging and pleading, I want to see, I want to see. Well, repent. Because you know what? God doesn't take away gifts. Just repent and start believing. But there's still fear because most of them never get back to that place because I don't want to see demons. I only want to see Jesus. Don't dictate to God. Why do you fear somebody that's defeated? You know, some years ago I was ministering in Perth and Jesus appeared in front of me. And he had a, a centurion's helmet. How do you know it was a centurion's helmet? Because it had the plume. That's how in battle they knew who the, the leaders were. They had the plume up there and they would follow the directions of this centurion. Having been in the military, I knew what God was communicating. The last piece of equipment you put on before you enter the field of conflict is the helmet. I said, Lord, we're not ready for this. And he sternly said, you I have given you everything you need for life and victory. Wow. Yeah. Then he said this, now go and enforce it. Yeah. Boom. Shifted everything in my life. We're out there trying to re recreate the Civil War battles. We're going to win the victory. It's already won. Yeah. 
enforce it. Stop playing children's games. I got to beat the bully. The bully's beaten. Just say get. That's the truth. I'm going to, I don't care. I'm going to give you, this is anointing in this house. I'm going to give you a pet peeve of mine. It took us 12 hours to get that person delivered. Well, what in the world's the matter with you? That's right. Jesus said, be still and get out of here. And it was done. Why did we come up with all these formulas? Because children act like children. Look, our grandson, little guy, but you know, have you ever seen a child that likes to dress up like mommy and daddy or grandma and grandma? So they get on the clothes and they're buried under this mound of material. And you go, what the heck is this? And then you see two little eyes peeking out. That's the way we are. And they see how you do things and so they come up with step one and step two and step three and step... Th <laughs> so they're going to figure out how you... Okay, that's good for a child. They're learning. But dear God, you're supposed to grow up. You don't go through 47 steps to deliverance. You got one. Shut up and get out of here. Now. And it's over. I'm talking from experience. Because I used to do the old stuff. Oh, we're wrestling with this demon. Quit wrestling with a demon. Enforce the victory. It's already over. And if he knows you know that, he's gone. Same thing for anything else you faith. Because of the covenant of God, the victory's already won. Stop begging for the victory. Enforce it. Okay, that rabbit trail is gone, but it left a hook in you. Now, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. You know, he doesn't want to lose his position in the church, so he's going to sneak over. How can a man be born again? And Jesus said, look, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. What's he telling you? If you're born again, you can see the kingdom. Every time I teach this, multitudes of angels come in. Even Jesus walks in. He wants you to get this so bad. He wants you to have, be released to the fullness of what belongs to you. And they're waiting. They're ready, willing, and able. They have more hope and expectation than you do. I remember teaching in, in Spokane one time. How many years ago? About 10 years ago? 11 years ago? And I looked at my scripture and looked up and I froze. I went, because what I saw in the back of the room, I had never seen before. And I went, they, people said, what? Well, I said, nothing, it's okay. No, what? What? I said, well, I see angels doing cartwheels and pirouettes and dancing back then. And this one lady in front went, God would never do that. Got up and left didn't stop them what do you think rejoicing in heaven over one sinner looks like yay okay next I'm telling you each angel has its own character personality they're fun there's some of them you don't mess with okay where was I I so rudely interrupted myself.
much I want to talk to you. Okay. One of the greatest signs of the appearing of the Lord and what, that we're at the end of the age is the ever-increasing presence of God that people are encountering all over the earth. Multitudes are coming into the kingdom through a visitation from Jesus. In northern Algiers, one whole village, one whole village, two imam in this village, every single individual had an encounter with Jesus, whether they were asleep or awake, exact same encounter. He revealed himself as the Messiah, the true God, worship him. The imam started teaching about the, the Bible and this Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And the authority, northern Algiers is very Muslim, radical. They heard about this. They sent the army in. And they said to the, to the people there, is this true? Yes. They lined up all the men in the imam and said, you renounce this Jesus or we're going to shoot. They had a firing squad. They said, no, we're not going to renounce this Jesus. Ready, aim, fire. Nobody dropped. They checked their weapons, made sure the bullet. Three times. Guess what? At the last shot, the Lord, as one, told all of them, reach into your pocket. They reached in. They all had three bullets each. They handed it to the soldiers. And the soldiers got saved. Extraordinary things are happening. <laughs> Stop, you're killing me. I could tell you stories like this all day. We've met people that have had these encounters. Should I tell them that one? Okay. In Indonesia, a young man got saved. He's full of the zeal, the fire of God, and wants to... He's evangelist. I mean, he's got a gift of evangelism, and he's... You don't do... I mean, you're allowed to witness in, in Indonesia... But I mean, he was so passionate, he wouldn't let you go. He's like a bull terrier. <laughs> Until you said, yes, Lord. And so the, the pastor, after a couple of years, he didn't know what to... He, he said, look, go up into the interior, up into the mountains to the villages up there. Nobody's ever heard about Jesus. Villages are small towns to them. They call them villages. So he goes up, and he took him a week because he had to drive and then hike, and you know, and way up in the mountains. And here's two villages of, filled with Muslims, and he's preaching the gospel to them nonstop for two weeks. They're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And finally, they, he won't shut up. They've had enough. They take him outside the village. They cut his head off. They threw his body on this side of the road, his head on this side, and put up a sign, Christians, don't you dare. And they, I mean, they warned away any Christians. Three days later, we're talking the tropics now. Three days later, this older gentleman's walking up towards the village and he's smelling this stench and what in the world? And then he got closer and he saw the sign. He went, what? Oh, no. Even for a Christian, this is not right. He went and grabbed the head, placed it on the torso, started backing up, and all of a sudden the head was re-knit to the body. And he rose from the dead and he preached in the whole region got saved. Now just think about this. He's do, fulfilling his calling. He gets to have a furlough at home. And then he comes back to finish. I mean, these things are happening all over the world. Extraordinary things. Well, okay. So, when Jesus talked about his second coming, 
stop. Oh, we'll continue tonight. It's a school. Yeah, but they haven't eaten lunch. And if I give you lunch, you fall asleep, right? Let me just say that I'll give you one more testimony and then we'll take a break. We were ministering again in Malaysia, talking about people having encounters with Jesus and getting saved. And this woman came up afterwards and said, I'm one of those. You want to hear my story? I said, yeah. I thought it was going to be like this. No, it was like this. So she starts telling this story. She said, I've, I've faithfully followed the dictates of Islam for all of these years. And, but there was something in me that I was hungry for more and I didn't know what the more was. And I just began to cry out, is there any God that answers prayer that's not always angry, that, that actually, you know, loves us? And this, she began to have this passion and cry. And one day she's, she's drawn into her bedroom to pray while dad and daughter are sitting on the couch watching TV. She goes in there and she begins to pray and Jesus steps into the room. He says, I'm the God you've been asking for. And he introduces himself. She accepts him, gets filled with the Holy Ghost, comes out, tells his, her wife, I mean her husband and daughter, now, there's religious police in Malaysia. You can be arrested. She starts telling them about Jesus. If that had been a fundamentalist husband, he, there's lukewarm in every culture. <laughs> he could have had her arrested and imprisoned. He just, she said later, he just thought, oh, another crazy fad. What a woman. But she kept working on him and on the daughter. And the daughter, university students, started getting angry and angry and be, became demonically enraged. And, How dare you? Stop it. I'm going to turn you in. And she left. And the mother's just heartbroken. Oh, God. I just wanted her to know you saved my family. She went into her bedroom, knelt down and prayed, said, Lord, you appeared to me and showed me who you truly are. Please appear to my daughter. Well, Jesus said, what I'm doing. Do you understand? If that's what God's doing now, you can pray this. So, something happened. Saul became Paul that night. The daughter had an encounter with Jesus. Got radically transformed. Delivered. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Started sharing Jesus everywhere. Now in Malaysia, that's against the law. In Indonesia, the largest Muslim nation in the world, you can. But not in Malaysia. And so, universities, stores, malls, everywhere, she's sharing Jesus. And word gets out, and they, the parents heard it, the police are looking for her. Because they're going to arrest her. So they bundled her up, put her on an airplane, sent her to Sydney to finish her university. But she had won her best friend to Jesus. And she was just as zealous and was preaching everywhere and they caught her. They're taking her in the back of the police car to prison. They said, we're going to cane you until you renounce this. If you renounce him, we'll only give you one or two lashes, but if you don't. And so they're taking her into the city. They come through all the offices, down into the cell block, and on one side are the cells, and on the other side is this contraption to hold you so they can cane you. And there's three women in there, and they backed away. They're afraid. And they said, are you going to renounce this false god? She said, no, I won't. They took her in, and now they're really mad. They put her up, one last chance. No, I can't. And then she said, God, help me. I can't handle pain. These guys were so enraged, they both grabbed a cane. That's unusual. And they beat on her until they were exhausted. And that one lash touched her body. <laughs> and they're confused. And they're disgusted. And they're still enraged. And they take her out and throw her into the 
prison cell with these three women and they backed to the wall and the guys left and the women said, what kind of God can save you like that? Wow. And she led them to Jesus. Yay. One o'clock in the morning, they leave the lights on, but they flickered. And the Spirit of God spoke to her and said, get up and leave now. She said to the ladies, come on, we're leaving. They said, whatever you say. <laughs> they walked to the cell door and it opened. They walked down the hallway and the door between the cell block and the administration opened. And there's confusion out there. All these police officers, they walked right through the middle of them out the front door and left. That's the Jesus we serve. That's what he's doing now. And you can walk in that too. Father, bless them <laughs> with expectation as they take this break. Bless them, Father, with excitement and passion because you answer passion. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.